This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I'm your host today, Harrison Starr, joined by co-managing editor of Blackheart Gold Pants, Ben Ross. Ben, how are you doing? April showers will hopefully bring May flowers here in uh, tropical Chicago. Harrison, I hope you're getting some uh, better weather in lovely Bentonville. You know, it's been great weather in Bentonville. Um, Has it really? Yeah. Yeah. there's no Max this week, so uh, uh, we he's moving to Minnesota, where it is probably snowing right now. Um, but for me, this past weekend, it was tremendous weather, uh, Fran voice. Um, the sun was out. We were able to go on a lovely bike ride um, down the beautiful Razorback Greenway Trail that they have here, um, and it was a lot of fun. Um not quite so fun as uh, since our last discussion, Ben. I'm I'm taking a little bit of a uh, a break from beer, only drinking during Game of Thrones. Um, and Hilarious. I I have lost a couple lbs from it, so uh, that's kind of a recap since you know the last couple of weeks since we've met. How how you doing, Ben? I'm doing great, and it's hilarious you mention uh, the alcohol lbs thing. I've been on a little bit of a health kick myself lately, and I used to. Uh, Put down about <clears throat> this isn't me trying to you know be cocky, but I used to put down about let's say 1.3 bottles of bourbon a week to myself. Yeah, and uh, I would be eating healthy and working out, and I just couldn't lose the weight. And all of a sudden, I just stopped drinking, mostly out of a cost-effective measure rather than personal lifestyle choice. And all of a sudden, I lost like not exaggerating, like eight pounds in eight days. Yeah, it goes quick once you stop, but I feel like it's like that initial thing. It's like you just kind of carry that little alcohol um, sheen, or I don't know what it is, but you, you, we all kind of have that if we drink a little bit. I and think then... it just slows down your metabolism so much, because I wasn't even drinking beer. I was just freaking meat, like wild turkey meat, so like there were no carbs, just uh, just too extra calories late at night. It slows down your metabolism, Harrison, no good. That is a fair point. There are a couple beers I do want to mention. Um, on 420, of one of our local establishments had the Sweetwater 420 Mango Kush, and that beer was dank. Like, I was belching, and it smelled like <laughs> like it tasted horrible this for like your... eight eight hours afterwards. But it was it a delicious beer. No, the beer was great, but like the belches that oh yeah like remained throughout the rest of the, the night were horrible. Just... Like, eight, eight hours later, I'm talking. Like, I, we would be eating and drinking, and then I'd have a burst of air come up up my throat and still tasted like that beer I had eight, year, eight, eight years ago, eight, eight hours ago. <laughs> yeah, that was tough. Uh, it was interesting uh, past couple weekends, you know, uh, 420 colliding with uh, Easter. Uh, Chicago was uh, eclectic that weekend, to say the least. So, um but I'm glad. I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Sweetwater Brewing. I'll be honest. That's fair. But it's 420 is like their proprietary ale. I guess if you had the Mango Kush strain, mm-hmm. it might have been a little bit better. But I, I'm not wowed by it. Kind of like it seems like a lot like maybe the South Sancer to Lagunitas. That's probably a good comparison. I, I would say so. Um, but anything tickle your fancy the last couple of weeks, Ben? Or have no, you been I haven't fully out of it. Um, no, I've just been, I don't think I've gone out the past few Fridays and then Saturdays. Um, I've just been day drinking when I day drink, I just, you know, drink the lightest beer I can get my hands on so I can go the longest. So, uh, this past Saturday was Miller Lite. Two Saturdays ago was Lone Star. Oh, that was that's a great call. Lone Star is delicious. 
uh, big fan. Normally, once it gets pretty hot and once uh, my favorite beer gardens in Chicago open up, it'll be hams. Mm. But, um, you know, I, say what you want about the the Borgs. Um, I, I like Miller Lite. I like a good crispy light every now and then. Yeah, that's that's normally what stocks our fridge. But not this week. As we turn towards Hawkeye sports, it's definitely a bit of a dead period, and that's probably putting it very lightly. Um, we did have the NFL draft last week where uh, Iowa tight ends went number eight for TJ Hawkinson to the Detroit Lions, and Noah Fant went 20th to Denver after they traded down with their sights set on him, so they were able to pick up another draft pick. Um, you know, uh, Anthony Nelson and Amani Hooker bo- both went in the fourth round to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for Nelson and the Titans for Hooker. And I think that's kind of maybe a little further than people kind of expected for those day three picks. But uh, right in line with what most draft um, prognosticators I saw for Hawkinson and Fant. Um, so I guess what were your kind of takeaways from uh, that weekend for the Hawkeyes, Ben? So I think uh, I'll start with the two uh, guys who were picked later on. Uh, Nelson, I think, uh, went at a pretty good spot for Tampa. I think he went early in the fourth round, correct? Yes. Um, Which I think is pretty good. I think it's going to be a really good pickup uh, for Tampa. They have a really good defensive line. I think, I mean, the the, the Bucs, they suck. Um, (laughs) But Anthony Nelson can still do good work down there. The NFC South, um, maybe, you know. It's Cam Newton and who the hell and I guess whatever brand of Matt Ryan we're trying to get this season. So uh, I hope, looking forward to seeing him. I'm not too surprised about Hooker. Somebody asked me that um, one of my friends did on Saturday, Saturday evening. It's just like I feel like safety is the one position that like any team can draft at any time and like nobody will get mad at them. Like you can just kind of stock stockpile um, safeties and especially Hooker. I know a couple of teams might have, you know, had him as a project linebacker even on their boards. Oh, I didn't and, really realize that. Yeah, because Makes sense. I think he, yeah, because he came in, I think, at 218 uh, at the combine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, adding 20 more pounds to that frame wouldn't that be that um, strenuous, I think. I know um, <clears throat> they had a lot of fanfare up in Minneapolis, uh, where I'm from, and that's where Hooker's also from. Okay. Uh, my dad gave me a phone call. They were... Um, they did some local, there was a lot of local news coverage about him because God knows the Gophers. I don't think had they only had one player drafted, Blake Cashman. Uh, classic. Um, and then with Hawkinson and Hooker, I mean, sorry, Hawkinson and Fant. Uh, Hawk, I mean, number eight is a, a tight end is just, I mean, it's kind of insane, right? It I is mean, right. Like I, I saw your Q and A with uh, Pride of yeah, I want to talk about Detroit, that. and mm-hmm. I got there. After some comments had kind of developed, but I'm not sure if it went crazy or not. But I, I think my favorite one was like, oh, this this Hawkeye fan doesn't even like him that much. But like you were giving him glowing praise. And I think the ultimate thing is like you look at the other tight ends taken in the top 10. And they're kind of more in the Noah Fant form where they're just like these insane athletes. And Hawkinson put up... Robert and Davis, yeah. Yeah, they put up fine... Or Hawkinson put up like fine numbers especially relative to kind of freak athletes um at the combine in the combine sense but he's still viewed as like this super high floor player that you can kind of paint any way you want right and and it's kind of how it seems like the Detroit fans are taking it yeah and it's also worth noting that last time Detroit took a tight end in the top 10 was Eric Ebron who, uh, by all accounts, is a pretty great bust. Um, for them. He turned out yeah. all right for the he's Colts fine, this year, totally, right? Yeah. I mean, he's totally fine, but again, you know, I think, what was he also number eight overall, number seven, I think? He, he might have been ten, but, I mean, well, in that same way, area. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my argument, the, the meanest thing I said about Hawkinson, other than him not being named Gronkowski, is picking a tight end number eight, basically, in order for that position, I think, for that, I, I don't think this is necess- necessarily the way to look at it, but the way I think most rec- draft Knicks look at it is for the tight end position, for him to be eighth round value, I think I saw like he's got to be a Hall of Famer. Oh. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Just because of all I the potential you're taking up. And you can get a Zach Ertz type in the third or fourth round, I'm sure is what their, their mindset right. is. Right. 
like I'm su- I'm a huge Vikings fan. I'm super happy with the tight end we got in the second round out of Alabama, Herb Smith. Um, so like, if the I don't think you know Detroit would have been Detroit fans would have a lot of Detroit fans might have preferred they get somebody at a different position of need and then maybe gotten you know the number three Jay Sternberger or Herb Smith um, later on in the draft. But uh, you know the meanest thing I said about Hawkinson, other than the uh, the eighth round draft potential stuff is like you know he's not named Gronkowski. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And I kind of I also said that it was very pretty weird that they drafted him when they already have a number one tight end in the roster. But I regret saying that because I think that was just dumb of me to think um, they've got Jesse James they picked up from Pittsburgh in the off season. Uh, I think it's I, I thought about it a little bit. I actually think it's better for he, Hawkinson to have. I think James has been in the league for six years. Um, the spotlight's not going to be, he's not going to be tight end one uh, at all this year, probably unless Jesse James gets hurt. So that puts some pressure off, off of him. He'll get to learn um, from Jesse James, Matt Patricia, you know, has the Gronkowski background. Um, <clears throat> I want to ask you this. My favorite question that the pride of Detroit, the Detroit Lions blogger asked me was, who do I think will wind up being the better player between Fant or Hawkinson? Um, I gave my answer. I'll give it again, but I want to hear yours, uh, your your take first. Yeah, so my perspective is I think that Hawkinson is going to be an, an incredibly high floor player, and like you said, um, having Jesse James there is probably going to be a little bit to his benefit since he, if he's viewed really as that high-level tight end two, he can really focus on blocking, you know, getting the, the short intermediate routes um, but to me, I think if we're looking five years from now, I think it's probably going to be Noah Fant. That's the better player of the two. Um, I, I think he seems to be going into the right situation with a maybe a slightly more uh, innovative staff uh, or willing to innovate. Um, Patricia, obviously, he was around the line or, or around Gronkowski a while, but I just don't really view Hawkinson as a Gronkowski type. Um, I mean, Gronkowski is like 6'6", 6'7", 270, 280 pounds. Like, he is huge. And Hawkinson's that classic Iowa tight end at 6'4", 6'5", 250 pounds. Go back and look through, like, all of the tight ends that Iowa's had get drafted. They're right in line with that. Um, Fant's a little lighter. um, But I just think the athleticism that Fant is going to have is... And, like, having a guy who loves to throw the deep ball like Joe Flacco is going to be crazy. Like, I really just think that um, Fan's probably going to be the better player, but it might take him three years to really get there. So, um, that's still a part of the rookie contract from my understanding. And uh, they'll they'll both be millionaires, obviously, if they just sock away their signing bonus. So, uh, set for life. Um, but I, I think kind of at the... In five years, I think we're going to be saying that Noah Fant's a better pro. Yeah, and I don't even know if better is right the right word. Um, like, Noah Fant will be like a household name because of his fantasy value. Oh, it's, right. Like, I think Noah Fant, just simply because of the player he is, um, the comparison I made was Jimmy Graham, who was basically a big wide receiver masquerading as a tight end. Um his entire career can't like can't block for shit Fant's probably a better blocker I think he <laughs> is yeah yeah he absolutely is but Fant just because of his speed and um the way he plays the tight end position he'll just um you know become more of a household name because of his propensity to score touchdowns and he'll probably have more yards and more catches compared to Hawkinson who might be you know a better player according to pro football focus or something overall right. Um, but one, he'll be in Detroit, so he's going up against, uh, he's in the NFC North that has a really good Bears team, uh, probably a dwindling Packers team and hopefully a really good Vikings team, but I'm so he'll probably like, and he's got, and I said, he's got, you know, the twilight of Matt Stafford, Matthew Stafford's career to play with. Um, hopefully I, I like Matt Stafford. Um, hopefully he's got more, I think he's got more left in the tank. Uh, but if not, I mean, it's going to be disastrous. Uh, for the whole franchise, whereas I think Fant, I mean, who knows how the hell Joe Flacco is going to be, but people loved saying the word, you know, security blanket tight end uh, for quarterbacks and Flacco. Vet- I feel I don't remember like 
who was Flacco's tight end when he was in Baltimore? It, was, uh, it wasn't even Todd Heap, was it? It was, I don't even know. Oh, man, you're making me pull, but I do want to say, like, your point about Fant and just the touchdowns he accumulated, like, you have to go back to Marvin McNutt to kind of understand how many touchdowns he actually did get. And over the course of the last two years, he got 35% of the touchdowns that Nate Stanley threw, which at a place like Iowa just seems insane doesn't that, happen. So, that someone just can, doesn't happen. that can get that many touchdowns on a, in a place that doesn't really, uh, you know, get that many throwing touchdowns. I mean, back to back 26 passing yards, I, passing touchdowns. I think part of that is they just didn't have a run game that they could trust inside the red zone. Um, but when you have guys like Fanton Hawkinson, why, why would you try and force it down the throat of a defense? Yeah, another thing about Fant, too, is just his aversion to contact because, again, the way he plays a game, whereas Hawkinson seeks it out. So, I mean, again, there's that reality of the NFL where somebody, obviously, who takes fewer hits is going to be on the field more and going to have more opportunities to get the ball and score. So, again, that's something else I took into account with my assessment of Fant. Um, that's a good I point think, you brought up because yeah. um, there was a stat I saw like where he only broke three tackles. Noah Fant did, but... Ooh, there it is. The weather is has been bad today. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this past mm-hmm. week, not so much. But uh, with Noah Fant, he only broke three tackles, which I think you can play either way as good or bad. Like, one, he's able to really just get open immediately in a way that a lot of players can't. And I think that that'll be where Hawkinson not necessarily struggles, but I think once he has the ball, he kind of has it, and he might not necessarily get the yards after the catch unless it's a really good scheme, a great play call, things like that. But with Fant, I do think that, you know, just one-on-one matchups, he can just run by a guy, and maybe he eventually gets caught and brought down, but I just don't necessarily see that game-breaking from Hawkinson that I do from Fant. Yeah, the thing about... The point of the broken tackle thing about Fant is interesting because, like, he always he never he always caught the ball wide open, so he was always getting tackled from behind. Like, um, uh, okay, is I mean the way I think about it, like every single or he just caught the ball in the end zone and you know and that was it. Uh, <laughs> so I you know I'm not taking too much stock about the broken tackles thing. Um, I you know I think my best I think fans can be I think they're both gonna be really good players. Uh, they're gonna be compared to each other their entire the, for the entirety of their careers, which is a shame for it's too bad both of their. I mean it's just yeah it's they're cool so, and it's but it's horrible right. I think we'll discover. Keep on putting gasoline on my take. I think we'll discover that how like it's super unfair to compare them. And it was unfair to compare them at Iowa because they're just such different players. Right. And that will totally, totally expose itself in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's a great point because I think we do see Noah Fant used a little more sparingly, uh, at least to start, um, and maybe finds a role where he's consistently on the field. But he'll be that guy that, you know, can maybe break a play open that uh, maybe didn't happen before um, for denver um so yeah i guess that kind of kind of wraps up our our draft talk unless you have anything ben yeah i have one more question to ask you of the players who did not get drafted so we've got matt nelson nick easley keegan render ross reynolds parker hesse jake gervas sam brinks and kyle groneywig got all that yeah who do you like the best to stick around and have an nfl career the one I like the most is Parker Hesse. I just saw he just did too many things as a defensive end to think that he's done playing football. Like, he was just such a smart player. He rarely missed tackles. He was always in the right spot. I think that type of skill can translate anywhere. But the guy I'm kind of sneaky watching out for is Kyle Gronowig. Um Okay. I'm... Hey, hey, you know... He's, he's going to the Vikings. I'm a Vikings fan, and I haven't even... I've only read his name on Scott Dockerman's fucking tweets. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but I just... I, I think Parker Hesse is um, the clear front runner in my opinion, uh, but the dark horse for me is Gronowig. I guess that's a better way to frame it. Well, How about yeah, you? Par- Hesse can't play defensive end in the NFL, I, you think? 
I, I think he can. He'll either be like, because what's he, like a six foot two sixty is probably what he ends up at or something like that. And he probably ends up being some type of special teamer. He could be like an outside linebacker type. Um, but you know, he's gonna try his hardest and be in the right spot. And there's a paycheck for that, in my opinion. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm 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 out on both those picks. Uh, hey, that's why. I mean, they went undrafted fine. for a reason, right? Yeah, uh, I like Nick Easley. Oh, um, okay. I think he already signed a contract, whereas I think Parker Hesse and both Granny Wig are just mini camp deals. Or oh, tryouts. Okay. Um, I think Nick Easley signed a contract. Um, but I like him just because you know slot receiver. Um, those are always sneaky. Yeah. I, I think the thing about Easley, which will be interesting, is I think the next catch he has will be the first catch for an Iowa, or the first catch he has will be the first catch for Iowa, an Iowa wide receiver since Tim Dwight left, which is freaking insane. Yeah. Nick Easley was the last, no, that's not right. King Tim Davis. Dwight was. Oh, oh, in the NFL. In the NFL, yeah. Yeah, no, yes, yeah, that's our favorite stat. And my, I mean, the extension of this stat, which I've probably said here before, was before C.J. Beathard, Tim Dwight was also the last Iowa player to complete a pass, God. which is insane. Dumb. Uh, <laughs> righty, so we'll go ahead and take a quick break here, and right after that, pick up with some spring ball action. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we are back. So, Ben, spring practice has officially ended, and Iowa stands, as they always do, uh, a little under the radar because the only visibility that we had was uh, a couple open media practices, the last being on uh, Friday, which coincided with the end of of spring camp. Um, I think the Kirk Ferentz thing and signatures are happening sometime soon i don't know uh but uh it was kind of a hunky-dory attitude in iowa city uh this spring don't you think ben yeah it's funny you i wanted to bring this up to you earlier i forgot to say something i I gotta meet i'm still on the iowa football media i'm on all the iowa media email server still oh yeah because i can't let go of the past and uh there is a there's a there's an open practice in johnston or open to the media in johnston on Saturday, um, and then I got an email this evening, and then I got an email this afternoon with invitation, giving me details. And then I've never seen this before. I got an email that just says, uh, "Roe Stephen D would like to recall the message media at youth camp Saturday," and that's just the body of the email. <laughs> so I wonder <laughs> if that's just like a cancellation of the open practice. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I've never seen that before. It's just hilarious. Um, so I've honestly, admittedly, I haven't been paying too much attention to spring coverage. I read, um, I did a pretty deep dive on Phil Parker and Brian Ferentz addressing the media yep. last week. Uh, I fucking love Phil, man. He's he's the he best. Might be, he might be my favorite coach in all of sports for like the teams I follow. He is awesome. Even over like Mike Zimmer, or are you I, out I, on Zimmer now? I'm so goddamn out on Zimmer. Okay. Yeah. Um. I, I love Fran. Uh, but God, Phil Parker, I, I can't believe he's not a head coach somewhere. I just simply cannot. We are so lucky to have him. If this season, we might, we'll talk about this later. If this season goes to shit, um, I'd be so nervous for him to leave. Uh, and you get the complete reading the oppressors and listen, watching them listening. And then you, you, you read Phil Parker's, you watch him talk and you go to Brian Ferentz who just is his, he's his father's son. He says absolutely nothing over the course of 25 minutes. 
And then we go and get reporters <laughs> who repackage their historians. Say, oh, oh my God, Brian Ferris just revealed how a zone block, like uh, an outside zone scheme works and why Iowa's entire offense is predicated on an 85-year-old play. Like, that made me so angry. It's so dumb. Like, no wonder we won fucking eight games last year in the weakest division in the Power Five with two top 20 NFL draft picks uh, because our entire offense is on a cave painting somewhere in Montezuma. <laughs> like, it is it, – it's insane. Whereas our defense is innovating. It's creating yep. new positions and blitz packages be, to make up for the offensive shortcomings. <laughs> it is insane to me. Yeah, I mean, they framed it as complimentary football, Ben, which, I mean, it it's fine. It makes sense. But the thing that was so frustrating to me is we all sat here two years ago, basically, and lapped up lapped up Brian Ferentz preaching attack, 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 attack. You could probably Google search it, Brian Ferentz attack, and it would take you to his uh, introductory press conference. And two years later, he has basically 100% conformed to Kirk Ferentz's football. And I think we all kind of thought, hey, if there's someone who can make Kirk change offensively, it's Brian Ferentz. And to your point, like, Kirk Ferentz knows that football is changing around him. Like, he's letting Phil Parker do whatever the heck he wants to do. And it is fun. Like, Iowa gave up less than 20 points a game last year. And the year before that, like, they, what, what Most Phil Parker's... Most ever had as a program last year. Nobody's talking about that. You're right. And that's a 10-win number to put up 30 plus sacks. Like that 34. was something that they've said before uh Morehouse and Dockerman and it's like w- why aren't we talking more so like la- last season is basically papered over as I-, I think you said it before we started. Like it's polishing the turd. Last season Northwestern won the division by 3 games. People forget that. Like that's Holy, I I didn't know that. That's God. insane. I knew they won the division but Three games? Are you yeah, I'm, kidding me? I'm like 95% sure I, I saw that somewhere. And it's like, that is how bad Iowa was. or And by Iowa was, I mean that division was. Like, Northwestern just rolled over it. Their only loss was to to Michigan. And I think the second, because I think Iowa, Purdue, and uh, Wisconsin all finished 5-4. and four. Um, Yeah. I... I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. group me with like all my college friends, and during the draft, like they're all going crazy over Fanton Hawkinson, and I said something along the lines of you know eight wins for a team in the weakest division in Power Five football and two top twenty NFL draft picks, and I got kicked out of my group <laughs> <laughs> for that negativity. Like, spot the lie, spot the lie. You can't and. Like, I know it's not as simple as just throwing them at, it out there, throwing those guys out there. I mean, part of it is as simple as just getting hot fans on the field as much as possible, right? I mean, there's a number that <laughs> And getting they, some other players off the field in the Purdue game, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's just like, but it is crazy. But to, to see where Iowa was two years ago with their rhetoric and to see where they are now, and as much as I'm concerned, what it does is it basically tells Iowa media, it tells Iowa fans, hey, grade Brian's performance on a curve for when this job comes up. And we see probably bigger names than Brian Ferentz potentially uh, apply for the Iowa football job. But, you know, if, it, if we oh. deal with this head coach and waiting type of thing, it scares the heck out of me, especially after what what I saw uh, this past week. I just don't like it at all, Ben. Head coach in waiting, it's a good point, too. I just thought of, like, if you just make Brian Ferentz a head coach in waiting, that's going to probably upset a lot of, you know, coaches on staff right now. I'd say Mm -hmm. he's probably maybe, off the top of my head, maybe the third most deserving coach, head coach on staff, obviously after Kirk, maybe fourth. Um, Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I – 
I don't know why Phil would stick around unless he just loves being a defensive coordinator yeah. and a defensive back coach. That's the only and reason I, th- I can see it. I think he must if the rumors of where he took interviews this offseason were true. Oh, the the Ole Miss? Mississippi, yeah. Uh, I don't think he was ever going there. But, yeah, I mean, to your point, he's wanted places. As I mean, as far as we're concerned, as far as we know, he hasn't leveraged those interviews for more money or more security at Iowa. So maybe he just didn't like what he see when he got down to Oxford, which fair. <laughs> Can't blame to- him. To- totally fair. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're not, I'm not going to try and get in mind of Phil Parker. I'd make a lot of money if I could. Um, it's just, you know, the season's going to be interesting because I think we're going to have a really tough time. Even w- I, I think it's going to be a really talented team, but the schedule is going to be tough. And uh, there's just – I don't like where the holes are on the offense. And uh, <clears throat> I'm just really – you know, when, when Brian was hired, I was super – I was probably the most optimistic – I think this is before you were on staff. I was mm-hmm. probably the most optimistic of everybody on the pants because I seriously subscribe to the theory that if there's anybody in the world who could make Kirk change his offensive philo- – cha- make Kirk change his offensive philosophy, it's going to be his son. Right. And, well – we still know who uh, puts bread on the table in the Ferris household. It's Papa. It sure is. And, and I think really kind of the what frustrates me most about it is it seems like there's a lack of urgency. And this is kind of something that I've mentioned in the comments, something we talked a little bit, bit about. But I, I view kind of this season very much in a way as kind of twofold, right? When Iowa plays these types of games that they always play, there, there's going to be small plays that could have brought it, uh, you know, maybe they win one or two more games or they win one or two less games. That's just kind of the nature of it. And that's just kind of what happens and the wins fall as they may. But really, when I look at this season, it it ended at eight and four in the regular season. And, and you look at that eighth win and it reminded me as I kind of go back through the Rolodex of Iowa seasons because we have so many of 2014 in a way and in 2014 Iowa was seven and four and they had some ups and some downs some really bad downs uh, a blowout loss to to Minnesota they lost to Maryland but they were able to beat Northwestern Purdue those teams were a little further down um, but they they get a double-digit lead on Nebraska in the final game of this regular season, and they piss it away. Does that remind you of anything, Ben? Does that remind you of a season, a, a, a recent game at home? Hmm. hmm. Now, actually, yeah. Now, is it so far out of the realm to think that, like in 2018, hey, Nate Stanley doesn't complete that pass to Hawkinson to set up a uh, game-winning Miguel Racino's field goal, or M- Miguel Racino's just misses that field goal, like, and then I was going to an overtime against a team that has all the momentum on Iowa's own home field somehow, and and, and like Iowa was so close to seven and five, and it just feels like the urgency that that kind of lacks because oh they were able to to turn uh, two fifteen-yard uh, Mississippi State personal foul penalties into a 75-yard touchdown. Sweet. They were able to turn a short field into another touchdown. Sweet. Like I mean, I, I just feel like there is way too much positivity emanating because I think ultimately this team is as talented as what I've seen, and maybe this is why there's that lack of urgency. But I just feel like the talent that Iowa has in the spring has never clearly been higher uh, in the last decade, save 2010. And I just, it just feels like they should be more urgent in trying to capitalize on that talent. <clears throat> yeah. Um, first, I want to start with, I, I agree with everything you say. First of all, I want to, uh, you know, what'd you say? They were so close to going seven and five. Yeah. Uh, it's also worth knowing that they were really close to going 10 and two. Yeah, and that's exactly how it goes. I mean, that's exactly yes. how how 2014 was like. I mean, they they probably finished the worst that they could have finished at seven and five. They probably had they probably left two wins on the table. 
But in Iowa football, it feels like there are way too many wins left on the table versus wins stolen. Yeah. Right? Yes, totally right. Um, Stanley hitting Hawkinson right in the numbers on fourth down against Nebraska. If only he could have done that against you know Penn State. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, the the talent is really interesting because I was looking. You know, you prepared me for this conversation, so I was looking at our roster compared to 2014s from and um, all across, the only place where I think there's a huge talent upgrade is in the receiver core and I don't even know if I necessarily believe that um, and now I'm just trying to think I didn't I haven't formulated this take until right now I'm chewing on it looking at the rosters from 2014 and 2018 in front of me and the upcoming year and I I think and I don't obviously won't we don't need to even preface. We're not trying to slight players. We don't do that here. But I, I think the biggest weakness on this offense is the running back trio. Um, I think they're talented, but I think Iowa generally we've got sort of a game-breaking talent at running back um, when we have really special seasons. Uh, Akram Wadley, I you know, we never did anything great with Wadley, but he was unquestionably really, really good. Sean Green, obviously, in 2009. Um 2008, Sorry, 2008 excuse yeah. me. And then, you know, the combination of Adam Robinson and Brandon Wager um, and Jewel Hampton the following year. I just don't see these three guys, um, unless one of them makes a big jump. Obviously, Mikai Sargent um, earned his spot at number one, but I still don't think he's, you know, a generational talent. And so what would you do? And I, and I really, really, really like Amir Smith-Marset. I really like Brandon Smith, who the hell knows is going to play tight end, hopefully. Um, <laughs> and, and, and hopefully Tyrone Tr- Tracy uh, can make things work in the slot. Niki, Nico Reggiani. Or, 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 right? Is it Reggiani? It's not Reggiani? I don't know what it... I, I don't know. I want it to be the, the most Italian possible, so I can do the finger kiss. Davide Moretti. Um... <laughs> Reggiani. I think it's Reggiani, though. <laughs> okay, so let's call it... Well, I'll do the... We'll look into that later. Uh, we're going to call it Reggiani for the sake of the rest of this podcast. Um, so what do you do if you're an offensive coach when you've got maybe a subpar backfield, two NFL tackles, and questions on along the interior offensive line, and, at, and two and a half and two established wide receivers you throw the fucking ball 50 times a game when you've got a senior quarterback how many times do you think we're going to throw the ball 50 times a game this year harrison well i mean we didn't we only did once last year as if i'm on the sideline calling the plays but um i i think that and that was against penn state so i i think this is where like the complimentary football thing i i do get like you don't want to you want to tuck out the defense yeah 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 you you don't i mean the point is like you don't it's really easy to go three and out quickly, right? I guess is always kind of Ference's point uh, with the no huddle. And, and I think what you're getting at is you don't even necessarily need to go no huddle. But what would be no. good is if Iowa can get the right players on the field quickly, that gives Nate Stanley, who should be the best competitive advantage, and they talk about it pre-snap, right? He's getting Iowa basically into the right plays, getting players into the right spots, and hopefully making the right call so I, I i i'm with you i think it's 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 ultimately going to be the running backs i think is a good point but also it's just going to come down to nate stanley uh, as much as it really as simple as that is right but it feels like there, yeah. there should be a way to manufacture more than the classic eight win iowa season it's been really frustrating for me because I think his sophomore year, he was just, I mean, I, I think he was great. He had a really, he, he, we, we've talked about this before. He was, he came out of nowhere really great. Expectations were sky high for him last year. And he stagnated. He didn't, he didn't improve. He didn't really regress. He stagnated. Um, he can't stagnate this year. He just simply cannot. Right. He's got, he's got to be top top three quarterback in the big 10 maybe the big quarter best quarterback in the big wet in the west you know, yeah right i mean i think those are fair goals i mean who else is there i guess elijah Sindelar. 
uh, the the five star from Northwestern. I mean, you know, if he's able to be the best quarterback in the West, yeah, that, he's got to cool. be. I don't know who the hell's starting Wisconsin. Are they starting the four star they got? Um, Doan, I believe. Yeah, Northwestern. Uh, he was a Clemson commit, right? Or initially, uh, yeah. Um, who Minnesota doesn't have a quarterback on campus. Uh, Again, Nebraska. I know. I, I have no idea. Um, her. I do like. Is it? Um, oh, and then I guess uh, Martinez. For, yeah, Martinez. Adrian Martinez. I do, that, there is that. He. But it doesn't matter. It's fucking Nebraska. Nate Stanley's got to be an all-conference quarterback this year. Um, first, second, or third team. I don't care which one. He's got to be one of those three spots, and he just has to. He can't miss as many times as he did last year. He simply cannot. I agree, and I think it, it ultimately, though, to kind of tie it into the overall uh, kind of nature of Iowa football, it just doesn't feel like he's necessarily been let loose in a game, which I think is maybe your point. Like, I, I know Stanzi was horrible at times. Like, he was worse than – Stanzi was worse than Stanley was maybe even in, like, that Penn State game. But unquestionably, uh, junior year, Stan, Stanzi, absolutely, yeah. And he did make that leap, right? Like, I mean, he made that leap from just a totally volatile quarterback from his sophomore and junior year to a very consistent, very reliable, or arguably the most reliable quarterbacks Iowa's had. Yeah, made plays with his hands, with his arm and his legs. Um, and unfortunately, the team suffered because of it for some fucking reason. <laughs> well, I mean, they suffered because they didn't have defensive line depth, which, yeah. which I think we, we can maybe turn turn the page to uh, what we think about this defense. But yeah, I mean, it, this offense is going to go as Stanley goes. I don't want a 63-point game against Illinois to inflate their point total. Three points from 28.5 to 31.2. Like, to me, that is just a complete outlier in terms of Iowa offensive performance for even a season like I just think that ultimately it's time for Brian to put up or shut up in the way that I heard him talk last week it just didn't seem like that's the direction they're going which I guess shame on me Ben shame on me for thinking Iowa football would be different under Brian Ferentz shame shame Shame. this is me ringing a bell Alrighty, but this defense, though, I mean, you mentioned Phil Parker at the beginning. I mean, AJ Epinesa probably would have been a first-round talent if he left. I'm super high on Chauncey Golston. They'll figure out the tackles. They've got super agree on the figure out the tackles. Yeah, they've got just talent out the wazoo in the defensive backfield. I just, I think this defense really can be one of the best that Iowa's ever had, and it's gonna be a shame, Ben, if it's only taking Iowa to seven or eight wins. I just, I just, that's why I'm so mad. The only thing I will say about this defense is they still aren't, they're probably leaning Welch. I've been a linebacker still, but they're not certain, right? My understanding is that it's going to be Colbert. Colbert. Really? That, that was the white team. Um, I guess I don't know. Okay. But that was always kind of what, <laughs> what I had seen. But he's also kind of the D-back, so it would make sense to have yeah. him out wide. I, well, I saw Colbert making, you know, change to – I mean, he played a lot of outside linebacker last year, didn't he? He, yeah. he never played in the middle, though. Um, so, like, you know, the a lot of times I know the safety calls of plays in Phil Parker's defense, but generally you've got your pretty great talent at middle linebacker for these great Iowa defenses, obviously Josie Jewell. And um, slightly lesser extent, yeah, James Moore. Um, God damn, wasn't James? Yeah, James Moore. Morris was fine. Was Pat Angerer was one. Anger. Uh, yeah. Hodge way back in the day. Hodges um, after station, he's a tackle leader at Iowa, isn't he? I think maybe. you're right. Yeah, maybe um, Abdul Hodge. Anyway, so that is a little nervous for me, just because you know middle linebacker for any defense uh, in the world is sort of the heartbeat. Um, but I really, really like Brent's calling the plays at safety anyway. Uh, Kayvon Merriweather, I mean, Phil, maybe might Phil be Parker Phil Parker's gr- greatest achievement if he can get this basketball commit from 
Michigan to become as a sophomore or I don't even know, was he redshirter last year or as a redshirt yeah, freshman? Redshirt freshman, yes. So yeah, as a redshirt freshman, become you know a key cog to the Iowa defense. That'd be I don't think that wouldn't be talked about enough um, unless you become you know all American all of a sudden. Oh. So yeah, uh, so I'm not you know. Like I said, Epinesa, he'll be great. I hope I've got high hopes for Nixon. I do believe think they'll work on the interior. You have Welch and Neiman um, uh, as role players on uh, good good linebackers. Colbert's got experience. Hopefully, Amani Jones can figure it out somewhere, um, just because of his size. Um, and then the rest of the backfield: uh, OJ Mudia, Hankins. Uh, we'll see if we see Riley Moss out there, but yeah, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see who they plug in at the new star position. Um, sounds like it's Brent's, right? No, it's. I think it's going to be DJ Johnson. DJ Johnson. DJ yeah, Johnson. Yeah, and and Brent's, from my understanding, it's basically him, Hankins, and Ojemudia for kind of the the cornerbacks that you know. Um, this is something I was doing when I was doing the research. So we have it's Dallas Cradith, and then who's the other? Is DJ was DJ Johnson the other four star defensive back we got? Brents was class? one. Like I think all four of those, all three of those guys were very highly rated between Brents, DJ Johnson, and Cradith. Uh, yeah. It's just interesting to see like Cradith. He hasn't done anything. Like he's not talked about at all. You know, and he's supposed to be the most talented one out of all of them, right? Yeah, um, I mean that's what happens though. Is like. I think, and this is probably even how how Riley Moss kind of really jumped the ladder, is just sometimes Phil just sees something in in a player and just puts him out on the field. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing with this Merriweather. I I just, that's my sense. And I think, to your point before, Ben, hey, the, the safety, they're out there. They're, they're kind of the quarterback. They're the quarterback of the secondary for sure. Arguably the quarterback of the defense, depending on you know what other players exist for, and who fills. For Iowa's defense, yeah, lately they have been. And I, I think it's you know some players just have to kind of find their way into it a little more. And I think my guess is that Cradieth probably would succeed a little more in like a Stone type role, but because Geno Stone was basically you know so good for. You know, whenever he saw the field, he was field so good they, last year. He, was he had he forced Iowa to change their defense as much yeah. as as uh, you know, kind of the general landscape of college football is. Geno Stone saying, "Hey, I'm I'm bet I'm the 11th best player on this team from a defensive perspective," and I think we, you know, that that gave Phil kind of the confidence to move. Um, but one thing you did mention, Amani Jones, and I like where they're going with this because. They've got so many linebackers, like a laughable amount of linebackers, but now they just have two spots for them. It's interesting to see a player like Jones who um, who we thought could uh, play pretty well, um, but just ahead of steam, kind of a one-track mind, uh, find a place at defensive end where that's probably the place to do it. And then McDonald, the freshman, to do it. Yeah, Jay McDonald. Um <clears throat> And two, they're saying good things about like Wagoner, the local guy out of um, Dowling, right? Yep, he could be the next uh, another great edge rusher for Iowa. So there's, you know, in Phil Parker, we trust, man. I've got no, I really am not worried about this defense at all. Alrighty, so we'll go ahead and close out. Uh, I guess one thing that bears mentioning is the Jay Neiman hire. It seems like that's where Iowa is going. Yes, we'll yes, look yes. either really smart or really dumb just interesting to see that he went from Rutgers to Kansas briefly to Wyoming and then now here uh such is the life of an NFL or of a college football coach so he was the defensive coordinator at Rutgers right yes yeah so we got this is somebody saw on Twitter that there there are shades of Jim Reed in this hire, if you recall, Jim Reed was mm-hmm. Iowa's linebackers coach in the for the 2013 through 2015 seasons. Was he there in 2015? Do you know? I don't think he was there for 2015. I think he was there think 2012 was. to 2014. So he was Jim Reed was a linebackers coach when Iowa had Kirksey, 
James Morris and Anthony Hitchens, um, two guys who are still starting for the NFL today. <clears throat> and uh, now he's a defensive coordinator at Boston College, and I believe is the associate, associate head coach there. And Boston College all of a sudden is a team that's they're no longer a doormat in the ACC for the Right. For first time in our lives since Matt Ryan. Um, seriously, though. I think they were kind of a doormat even when Matt Ryan played for them. Yeah, I know. They went, They were the number two team in the country and promptly lost to, I think, like an unranked South Carolina State team and, lo- and then lost two more games in a row. Anyway, um, love the hire. Obviously, a, really, uh, more, a little more nepotism, maybe. That's the word you want to look at it. I don't think that's a big deal. Um Especially in this particular hire, because his son's going to be out of the program in a couple of years alone. Um, I like it. Local guy. He's where is he from? In Iowa. Is he from Iowa? I he know he's from Iowa. I don't know where he's from in Iowa. I know he coached or there for they played in Sycamore. Uh, is my understanding. Sycamore's in Illinois. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, but I don't know where he's from in Iowa. I am wrong about Matt Ryan being a doormat at Boston College. They won a. 21 games his last two years anyways but yeah anytime you can get a jay neiman type um you do it man like i mean he's so overqualified for this job that it will be uh interesting to see because it's not necessarily the position that you would put have pegged him for uh, as a defensive line assistant um but throwing coaches at kind of the the Maybe uh, opportunity, we'll say, um, at defensive tackle, I think will be uh, pretty good. Neiman is from Avoca, Iowa. Uh, Never heard of it. Same. Um, was a coach at Drake from 89 to 96. Then Northern Iowa from 97 to 2000. Then he was at Simpson for five years as the head coach. Interesting. Yeah. So Jay Newman, head coach in waiting. How old? He's pretty old, I think. Actually, <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> um, Thirty. This was his thirty-fifth season coaching college football. Wow. My God. So good for him. Excited. Yeah, that's cool. It, I like it the is hire. cool. Uh, People say they wanted a local guy, and you know, for recruiting purposes and everything. And we didn't even mention him. Good. Good for us. Good for. I think the uh, team got this one right. Yeah, and I think maybe what we might see is he's just so overqualified, he's able to, you know, find a, another better job in a couple of years, and then Iowa can kind of get that high school coach that we thought. Or maybe Reese Morgan's just going to keep recruiting on the side because uh, his wife's sick and tired of him uh, at the <laughs> already, house. Already trying to fill Neiman's job. Hilarious. Eh, I mean, he's overqualified. So, uh, to basketball briefly, uh, Andrew Francis left for uh, California, and as of now, uh, on April 30th, uh, that position has not yet been filled. Uh, The one thing I think would be interesting is if Iowa went, uh, or Fran went the Kirk route and hired a potential recruit's father, apparently this Jalen Suggs dad has someone who can coach Ben. Uh, is he currently a coach? Like, is he an AAU coach? Are you I think he's up? an AAU coach. I don't know. This was a, a, a JP I know. thing. I, I know it's a joke. I don't want to drag JP no. through the no, mud. No. At JP, I see on Twitter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was simply not going to do that. No, they won't. Um, Jen, I mean, let's just get on. And simply, we're not going to get Jalen Suggs as a no. recruit. So no, no. Uh, I don't even want to do that. No, I probably, Just prepare yourself for losing Xavier Foster, I guess. Is <laughs> oh, also that, too, I guess. I, I, okay, I mean, my take is the Ah, uh, God. Okay, we're going to drag JP's fucking name to the mud right now. Jonah, we'll find out if you listen to this podcast. Um, his whole, I mean, he said, yes, we're for sure going to lose Xavier Foster because he's a point man. Because uh, Andrew Francis was a point man on Xavier Foster, who, if yeah. you don't know, was a four-star recruit out of uh, – where is he out of? Oskaloosa and Duke just okay. watched him play, so uh, that's something. I was going to say um, Bettendorf, so I was super wrong. Uh, or, uh, um, anyway, he's not coming to Iowa to get coached by Andrew fucking Francis. Nobody is. Yeah. I, I like this, Andrew Francis. It's not a thing of about – Of course like, I do too. It's um, not – but yeah. It, this isn't football. 
where you spend your entire, you know, um, 75 of the 90 minutes with your position coach, um, you spend the entire practice with Fran. Yep. You, the only, you know, you get texts at night about workouts from the assistant coaches and you're in the weight room with them and you're in film with them, but you practice with Fran, you get coached by Fran and I just think it's kind of ridiculous to discount, you know, uh, the recruiting, um, when a guy like Andrew Francis leaves a team, especially after seeing what happened in coach Lewis against Rutgers. Yeah. Um, I'm the most up, you know, I'm not upset about anything. I, it's very peculiar. We have that position hasn't been filled yet with, uh, AAU circuits coming coming up right now. Cause all the basketball, the call, the high school season has been done for a while. Uh, I guess February. And then also, but to that point, I have no fucking idea who we would get. I can't name a name. Yeah, I mean, this is just blind speculation. But I, I, I the what what I trust from Fran is that I think he's confident enough that he could hire a Phil Parker type and let him work the in terms of finding the right defensive assistant. Now, the thing about Iowa defense is it's not just going to get better overnight. This is the personnel you go to the war with the army you have and. You know, maybe we get one of these transfers, but, you know, that, that won't happen until uh, 2020. My point being is, like, Iowa's defense can really only go one direction. And watching um, that Iowa, that day of Iowa on ESPNU, seeing how they played, it looked very similar to the way they play now, with the exception of the fact that they pressed after at every single opportunity. And to me, that would be the direction that an Iowa defense can go. I don't think an Iowa defense can go and implement a Wisconsin-style defense, uh, a Virginia-style defense, even a Texas Tech-style defense. Like, uh, that's the type of defense that you use to really slow the game down because you're also slowing it down on offense. And just because Iowa's going to... They're going to try and speed you up on offense then they're going to try and speed you up on defense. And that's kind of my general thought about this, is I just don't know where they can go, save for... Uh, I would like to see them try and get like a press-style coach uh, on the defensive side. Um, and then Tyler Cook, he has uh, gone pro uh, pretty much officially. I think the door's still open for him. Uh, and we'll track that. Uh, I'm not sure it's... Uh, bears belaboring at this point in the podcast we obviously wish him the best i think he probably uh, feels like he maximized his talent at iowa and i I think there's probably uh a fair reason for him to believe that yeah um i i don't know anything enough about the nba to talk about tyler cook um and his aspirations did you i asked this before we started what is the salary for a g league player and it's like eighty grand now, I think, or maybe. Uh, and then, like with the two-way contracts, the way it works is it's like that base G League contract, but you get NBA money for every NBA mm-hmm. game you play. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think he made the right decision. Uh, to be honest, I think if he feels like he can be better elsewhere, then you know, f- let, let, let the peacock fly. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, I, I think he, anyone who who's mm. kind of talking down on him, fine. Dumb. But the NBA is a different game. Like, I can see him going in and being, within the next three to four years, a very serviceable piece on a potentially good team. So, uh, I will be tracking his career because I think he was just one of the most electric players I was had Maybe in my lifetime. Uh, so uh, we wish him the best. Wow, lifetime, yeah, man, fair. And also, like, it's also worth point is like there still is a really small chance he can come back, right? What what is the deadline? It's yeah, late. but I think I think if he's May, already right? yeah. got an agent and he's starting to take like workouts, if he's or taking workouts, I nutrition think and things like him, that yeah. from them, he's forfeited his ability to come back, which I guess makes sense, but. Um, it is what it is. Uh, we wish him the best. And Weiss Camp, I don't envision him going pro. Uh, God, that would be disastrous. It would, Ben. It would be 
disastrous. For him, too. Like, not even selfish. I mean, yeah, selfishly, but, like, and obviously I hate saying I think I know what's best for an 18-year-old, but, like, come on. I, I think he'll be ready after next year, and I think there's – if someone really likes him, there's reason to really like him, but he definitely needs to kind of grow into his body a little bit. Um, but he's got the three. Uh, against Tennessee, he was arguably their best defender during that comeback. Uh, so, I don't know. Like, I can see some NBA team being like, hey, we like you. We'll pick you in the first round if you commit. Um, but please, please, Joe, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen at all. Yes, Joe, don't go, please. Stop. All right. <laughs> and now, after we've pleaded to a college athlete, uh, we'll go ahead and tie this one off Ben I guess that is probably not the right way to frame it but nope not um, at all (laughs) for Ben Ross uh Max the absent Brecky and uh myself Harrison Starr thanks for listening to the pants party and go Hawks Lannisters in seven (laughs) oh